It's an issue of authority. Is the Bible the authoritative, inerrant, infallible, eternal Word of God? If it is, if it's the only book God wrote, then we have a plumb line by which we can measure what is true and what is false. Welcome to Search the Scriptures, the Bible teaching ministry of Dr. Carl Brogy, Senior Pastor of Community Bible Church in Beaufort, South Carolina. Today is part three and the conclusion of Pastor Carl's sermon entitled, Confronting Moral Perversion. Yesterday, Pastor Carl showed us that God's Word gives clear evidence that He made us both male and female, and that God is the only one who determines gender, not man. Today, Pastor Carl presents us with two questions. The first question is, are we by our own actions condoning the LGBTQ lifestyle? And the second question is, what is our attitude towards those who are in bondage to these sins? Let's join Pastor Carl now as he continues. There are four major acts of terrorism that most people never acknowledge. Four that were made by the Supreme Court and have been affirmed by politicians. The first one is we kicked God out of the schools and we said no prayer. The second one is no Bible reading. That was in first grade. It was already against the law, but still they read the Lord's Prayer every day until reality caught up with the law, and they said, no, no, not anymore. And as far as I know, my first grade teacher was not born again. Maybe she was, I don't know, but we still read the Lord's Prayer every day. And a short throw from there is we said, oh, you got the Ten Commandments that were on most walls in public schools in America? Take them off. The third act of terrorism is when the Supreme Court legitimized abortion. 60 million Americans are missing. Really much more than that, because if those 60 million had grown up and gotten married, we'd have a lot more. We couldn't survive as a nation. You couldn't be getting your Social Security check even now if we weren't bringing people in from other nations. And sadly, the southern border is wide open You say, well, that's compassion. That's not compassion. That's stupidity. It's a denial of what God says about borders. We should welcome the alien into the land, but there's a way in which you welcome them. But we legalized abortion, and now the sale of body parts through that wicked and vile organization, Planned Parenthood. And just like the blood of Abel cries out, the blood of 60 million missing babies cries out. And then the fourth greatest act of terror that our Supreme Court did was they legitimized same-sex marriage. What were they doing? They said, God is not God. God didn't create. We shouldn't pray to Him. We shouldn't acknowledge Him. We shouldn't read His Word. We shouldn't have His Ten Commandments. God is not God. Marriage is not marriage. Humans are not humans. The family is not family. And listen, there's no bomb, there's no terrorist attack, no assault that you could bring on a nation greater than these four that we did. And we have justices and we have politicians who are doing everything in their power to protect what is evil. And so our own president, at least we know where he stands now because he always said, well, personally, I'm opposed against abortion, but I think it's a woman's right. But he came out two weeks ago and said, life does not begin at conception. Look, I'm not a Republican because I agree with everything Republicans do, but I am registered as a Republican because it best reflects what God believes. I could not endorse a party 
that is so wicked and evil and would not want to meet Jesus at the judgment of the just, having voted for a politician that would endorse such evil. And so here's the Secretary of Transportation with his so-called wife. This was all over the internet last week. They have their twin babies. They sit in the hospital bed like they gave birth. And by the way, both of these men are unashamed of their so-called Christianity. In the words of Titus, they profess to know God, but by their deeds they deny Him. And so we have officials, pastors, rabbis, politicians, justices, who have supplanted the authority of God that belongs to God alone, and they are blaspheming God and blaspheming His church. And so God has given them over to a reprobate, to a depraved mind. The, the Russian Bible translates it an upside-down mind. That's a good way to capture the Greek, where you call good evil and evil good. That's where our nation is. And when the conscience can no longer function, when there is self-evident truth that God wrote into your heart and you can no longer see it, then you have what follows beginning in verse 29. I have a whole sermon on it. The 21 vices, and I stepped through carefully each and every one. You can get it at searchthescriptures.org in our Roman series. And then at the end of the chapter, verse 32, and although they know the ordinance of God, that those who practice such things are worthy of death, they not only do the same, but they also give hearty approval to those who practice them. That's the sad reality. Year after year after year as it goes by, these 21 vices are becoming prominent in America. That's all we have to look forward to, a nation that is in a moral freefall because we think we are smarter than God Almighty. And when a nation entertains itself on these things, they will readily approve these things. It's a prevalent sin. It's also a persistent sin. Point B on your outline, the sin of homosexuality was a persistent sin. Now, when the men of Sodom saw these angels, they wanted to commit filthy abominations with these two angels. They wouldn't take no for an answer. Verse 6, but Lot went out to them at the doorway and shut the door behind him and said, please, my brothers. He has no business calling them brothers, but he's, an, he's just oblivious to reality. Please, my brothers, don't act wickedly. Verse 8, now behold, I have two daughters who have not had relations with man, please let me bring them out to you and do to them whatever you like, only do nothing to these men inasmuch as they have come under the shelter of my roof. He thought, well, these are angels. I, I can't let this happen to God's angels. I'll let it happen to my daughters. Oh, my. But they said, stand aside. Furthermore, they said, this one came in as an alien. He's not one of us, and already he's acting like a judge. Now we will treat you worse than them. So they pressed hard against the door and came near to break down the door. They're persistent. They're consumed with their lust. Again, they won't take no. That brings me to point C. The sin of homosexuality was a punishable sin. Not only was it prevalent and persistent in Sodom, it was a punishable sin. And so notice verse 10, when these angels who came again in the bodies of men, notice what they did, but the men, these angels, reached out their hands and brought Lot into the house with them and shut the door. Now, angels, the Bible says, are physically stronger than men. An angel moved a two-ton stone at the tomb of Christ. 
And so they grab Lot, they drag him in the house. Verse 11, and they struck the men who were at the doorway of the house with blindness, both small and great. Now, do not miss the reaction of the men, that they wearied themselves trying to find the doorway. They're blinded, but they're still trying to get in. This is a great expression of militant homosexuality. And we have many militant homosexuals in our nation, but let me just say they're not all militant homosexuals. I'm sure our Secretary of Transportation is probably a nice guy. And some homosexual people I meet, they're very gentle, kind, thoughtful people. Not everyone who's a murderer is a Jeffrey Dahmer. Not everyone who's a homosexual does what these people do. And so sometimes you, you meet some of these people and you say, you know, he's a really great person. I don't want to confront this. That's not loving them. That's doing them harm. Now, very quickly, I've gone too long. Point two, and we'll go through it quickly, the unwholesome sentiment of Sodom. Beyond the unholy sin of Sodom, there's the unholy sentiment of, of Lot, I say. And I say sentiment because the Bible says in the book of Proverbs, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. In other words, your, your behavior is the sum total of your thinking. And Lot's thinking had been corroded by the place in which he lived. And so I want you to notice first that Lot was a worthless witness. Look at what these two angels say to Lot here in verse 12. Then the men said to Lot, whom else have you here? A son-in-law and your sons and your daughters and whomever you have in the city, bring them out of the place. For we are about to destroy this place because their outcry has become so great before the Lord that the Lord has sent us to destroy it. But carnal Lot, he has little to no influence on his family. Verse 14, and Lot went out and spoke to his sons-in-laws who were to marry his daughters and said, up, get out of the place for the Lord will destroy the city. But he appeared to his sons to be jesting. They thought old poor Lot was just joking, as one translation said, that he was jesting. Why? Because this is unusual for Lot. He never really exercised spiritual leadership, and that's what men who are out of fellowship do. They're, they're not exercising spiritual leadership in your, their home. And when there comes a time when they really need to do it, no one's there to listen. And you may be a dad, and you have compromised your own heart. Just the things you're even watching on TV. Maybe you're visiting pornographic websites and you think you're going to have spiritual authority with your children and with your wife. He was a worthless witness. Lot was also weak-willed. He was weak-willed. We read now in verse 15. And when morning dawned, the angels urged Lot, saying, Up, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, lest you be swept away in the punishment of the city. But he's numbed by reality, verse 16. But he hesitated. The Hebrew verb means he lingered. He hesitated. So the men seized his hand and the hand of his wife and the hands of his two daughters, for the compassion of the Lord was upon him, and they brought him out and put him outside the city. I mean, here's his family. They're kind of dilly-dallying around. They have to be dragged out. Maybe his wife said, man, I need to get my jewelry. Maybe the daughter said, man, we need to wear something appropriate. Maybe Lot said, I need to go get my bank book. They're just dull. They're spiritual disaster ready to come on from heaven, verse 17. And it came about when they had brought them outside that one said, escape for your life. Do not look behind you and do not stay anywhere in the valley. Escape to the mountains lest you be swept away. 
even Lot, he, he lacks a deep respect for spiritual authority. Look at his response. But Lot said to them, oh, no, my lords, he's debating with God's angels. Verse 19, now behold, your servant has found favor in your sight, and you have magnified your loving kindness, which you have shown me by saving my life. But I cannot escape to the mountains, lest the disaster overtake me and I die. Now behold, this town is near enough to flee to, and it is small. Please let me escape there. Is it not small? He's referring to a town called Zoar. In the word Zoar in Hebrew means little. Please let me escape there that my life may be saved. And he, the angel, said to him, Behold, I grant you this request also, not to overflow the, overthrow the town of which you have spoken. Hurry, escape there, for I cannot do anything until you arrive there. Therefore, the name of the town was called Zoar. Lot, he is moving slow. He is moving argumentatively. Because that's what sin does when you're out of fellowship. It just kind of encapsulates your heart and you become dull. That's where a lot of Christian pastors and Christian church members are today. Third, Lot had a wayward wife. He had a wayward wife. Remember, the men clearly, definitively gave instructions to Lot and his family. Escape your life. Don't look behind you. Do not stay anywhere in the valley. Escape to the mountains, lest you be swept away. But we read here in verse 23, notice, the sun had risen over the earth when Lot came to Zoar. Then the Lord rained on Sodom and Gomorrah, brimstone and fire from the Lord out of heaven. The sky was so filled with sulfur and burning asphalt that the Hebrew uses the expression rained. And he overthrew those cities in the valley and all the inhabitants of the cities and what grew on the ground. I mean, this was a cat catastrophe of monumental proportions, only to be equaled by the great flood. People debate the location of Sodom and Gomorrah. Some think it's the location of the Dead Sea. Some think it's Jordan adjacent to it and all the asphalt and sulfur residue flowed down into the Dead Sea or the Dead Lake and killed it. Absolutely no life in the Dead Sea. It's actually the single lowest place on the face of the earth. When I go there, often if we have time to point it out, there's a rock structure that the Jews for millennia have called Lot's wife because it looks like a woman frozen, quote-unquote, in salt. Wherever it is, we read in verse 26, it's an amazing verse. And remember, what God did in Sodom is a reminder, an example of the coming lake of fire and brimstone. Verse 26, but his wife from behind him looked back, and she became a pillar of salt. Her heart was back there in the Twin Cities. She looked back, and she was forever destroyed. Now, how are we going to apply this? Let me suggest three applications as we close. Number one, are you by your actions condoning the LGBTQ plus lifestyle? Now, if you didn't know before you came how God feels about this sin, I hope you know today. Don't be deceived by some pastor, some leader, some priest, some politician, that this is some acceptable or alternate lifestyle. It's not a gray area in the Bible. God could not have said it any more clearly than he did. And sadly, there are Christians who are contributing to this sin by being members of churches or denominations that are compromising. And if you're listening to me today, wherever you may be in the world, and you're in a church or denomination where they won't take a stand, most of the main lines have already come out in favor of gay marriage. We have two churches in our town that do gay marriages. 
Then you've got denominations like the United Methodist. They haven't officially come out against it, but you've got United Methodist pastors all across America doing gay marriages and no one will discipline them. Look, if you are a part of a church or a denomination that is compromising, you are contributing to the problem. You better find a church that honors the Word of God. 2 Corinthians says, Therefore, come out from their midst and be separate, says the Lord. You don't want to condone what God calls an abomination. And again, one of the reasons this is becoming more and more acceptable is because Christians are not taking a clear, definitive stance on this. We have sitcoms and documentaries and talk shows that openly promote all kinds of immorality. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil, the Scripture says. And if you continually subject yourselves to these things that God calls evil, you're dulling your spiritual sensibilities. Look, if you can't speak up as a pastor when you're still free to speak up, what are you going to do when we lose our freedom? Because that day is coming. And when we refuse to speak up for what's right, it's unloving. The light has lost its light. The salt has lost its saltiness, and it's good for nothing anymore, Jesus said, but be trampled underfoot by men. Listen to what Paul says in 1 Corinthians. For if the bugle produces an indistinct sound, who will prepare himself for the battle? So also you, unless you utter by the tongue speech that is clear, how will it be made known what is spoken? For you will be speaking into the air. Your word, your lifestyle sends a message. Secondly, what is your attitude towards those who are in bondage to these sins? That's the second application. Now, we need to be careful as Bible-believing Christians that while we hate this sin, we don't hate the sinner. We don't agree, we don't condone this lifestyle. But at the same time, we need to extend truth. We need to extend hope. We need to extend the forgiveness of God. I told that young teenage girl, I said, these friends who are on your volleyball team, they need to be forgiven. They're covered over in immorality. They need to find forgiveness. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 6, Or do you not know the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, that's premarital sex, idolaters, idolatry is anything you put above God. Paul can say greed is idolatry. Adulterers, that's extramarital sex, effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the coveters, nor revilers, nor swindlers shall inherit the kingdom of God. He notes here two classes, effeminate and homosexuals. The word effeminate is the word malakoi. It's a technical term that's used to refer to the passive partner in a homosexual relationship. And so the Net Bible renders it a passive homosexual partner. It can be used of a male prostitute who dresses up in the clothing of the opposite sex. And so biblically, Malachi would also encompass transgender people in our day. And if you don't remember anything else about transgenderism, just remember you can no more change your sex than you can change your race. I don't care what some doctor, doctors who perform, they they ought to be kicked out of the profession. I don't care what some doctor may do for greed and money or because he's also a reprobate to change the mechanics of your body. Gender is not fluid. And then the word homosexual, and he tells us plainly that if this is the direction of someone's life, Don't be deceived. Don't let anyone tell you any differently. They have no inheritance in the kingdom of God. They'll never see the inside of God's kingdom. 
But the next verse says, and such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the spirit of our God. Let me say it as clearly and as plainly as I can, that the blood of Christ covers the sin of the fornicator, the adulterer, the drunkard, the thief, the self-righteous, and the homosexual. He can forgive anyone. We are all sinners. We all need forgiveness. God does not teach that this is some sin that cannot be forgiven. You know, and yet in the church, you know, if a, if a drunk gets saved, if a drug addict gets saved, if an adulterer gets saved and his marriage is healed, oh, you know, that's somebody we need to see. But just let it be found out that you were homosexual and you get saved. Ooh. You better be careful. And we have a warped view of the way God thinks of people. But listen, when you're saved, it doesn't mean you can't struggle with this sin anymore. If a person is saved out of multiple adulteries and they're born again, that doesn't mean the temptation to have sex with a person of the opposite sex immediately is gone. No, but if any man is in Christ, he's a new creation. There's a new hatred for that and a new desire to carry on a new direction. And if someone is saved out of this inverted background, it doesn't mean that the temptation dissolves the next day. But there's a new hatred for it. And so contrary to Sam Alberry, who is being paraded across Christian platforms and now an adjunct professor at Cedarville College, a Christian university, that these feelings can be embraced. And as long as you don't act on them, you can, you know, physically even touch your same-sex partner as long as you don't go all the way. That's evil. It needs to be rejected as much as heterosexual lust needs to be rejected. New choices need to be made. And listen, I've been in the ministry since 1978, and by God's grace, I've led several dozen homosexual people to Christ, some of whom I've performed their marriage to someone of the opposite sex. Finally, what type of person are you? What kind of person are you? Now, again, don't say that Jesus never spoke on homosexuality. He couldn't have said it more clearly in Luke 17. He's speaking about the coming of the Son of Man, not the rapture, but the second coming. The rapture precedes the second coming. And he said, just as it happened in the days of Noah, so it shall also be in the days of the Son of Man. In other words, there's a parallel between Jesus' second coming and the atmosphere of the days of Noah. A few verses later, he says, it was the same as it happened in the days of Lot. They were eating, they were drinking, they were buying, they were selling, they were planning, they were building. But on the day that Lot went out from Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. It will be just the same on the day that the Son of Man is revealed. On that day, let not one of you who is on the housetop and whose goods are in the house go down to take them away. And likewise, let not the one who is in the field turn back remember Lot's wife. Now think about the great flood. Just before God poured out his wrath upon the whole earth, he delivered the true believers into the safety of an ark. And just before God rained down fire and brimstone on Sodom and Gomorrah, he took Lot and his two daughters and put them safely in Zoar. And just before the Antichrist comes before the coming of the Son of Man, the second coming, God will remove his people. And when Jesus comes again, again, there will be a parallel between the coming of the days of Lot and the days of Noah. Sin will be prevalent. Men's hearts will grow cold. Lawlessness will increase. 
There'll be moral permissiveness, like in the days of Noah. There'll be moral perversion, like in the days of Lot. Remember, no prophecies needed for the, second, for, the, for the rapture. Only the second coming is a prophetic event. Israel's in the land. That's an end times prophecy. The days of Noah, the days of Lot are upon us. God is setting the stage, which should remind you the rapture is that much closer. And when Jesus comes back, remember, there'll be just three classes of people. First, there'll be the Noah type of people. Noah pictures a spirit-filled Christian. He loved the Lord. He obeyed the Lord. He was not a perfect man. But the direction of his life was to please the living God. And so the Lord saved him, and he walked into a brand new world. And when Jesus comes back, spirit-filled people will go into a brand new world in his millennial kingdom. But then there's a second kind of person, and it's the Lot kind of people. And the lot type of people, they they represent the Christian who's out of fellowship with the Lord. I mean, how did the angels have to deal with Lot? They had to drag him along. And he lacked any moral authority in his life, and he had little to no influence on his family. And with the exception of his two daughters, and though he got them out of Sodom, he never got Sodom out of them. And Lot had deep regrets when he met the Lord in heaven. There's a third class of people. Jesus warned, remember Lot's wife. She had her heart back in Sodom. She longed for what Sodom had to offer. And she looked back and suddenly was frozen in her fallen state for all of eternity. The Noah type, when Jesus comes back, they'll experience great reward. The lot type of believers, when Jesus comes back, they'll experience great regret. But the lot wife kind of people, they will experience great wrath for all of eternity. And so what kind of person are you? Our Father, I thank you today. I preached a long time, but it needed to be said. And I pray for every person listening and for those who will listen in the years to come until Jesus returns that your people might blow a clear bugle sound, calling people to repentance. I pray for the dads and moms that have compromised lifestyles, who are going through all the motions, but they lack any moral authority. Help them to get their hearts right today. I thank you for the Spirit-filled believers like Noah, whose direction of their life is consistent. Help them to speak up and to preach what is right and true and pleasing to you. And I pray for those who are like Lot's wife. Some who, as I have been preaching, they have been arguing with me in their thinking. Because they've never received a regenerate mind, what you call the mind of Christ, and they can't embrace spiritual truth. If for no other reason, because it is in this book... Help them to acknowledge evil for what it is, that they might flee to a Savior and find forgiveness. May this church always be open to everyone of every walk of life and every kind of sin, that we would be a lighthouse extending the grace and mercy of the Lord Jesus. We ask it in his name. Amen. If you would like to listen again to today's sermon or any past messages, You can use the Search the Scriptures app for smartphones and tablets or visit us online at searchthescriptures.org. Remember that you can also order a CD or DVD copy by calling Search the Scriptures at 877-787-7000.
7478 and requesting program CMP21B. Tomorrow, Pastor Carl's wife Audrey is in this time slot with her program for women, Mothering from the Heart. You can hear more of Audrey's messages on the Search the Scriptures app found in the iTunes and Google Play store. Also, be sure to check out Audrey's podcast, Rare But Real, on Apple, Google, and Spotify podcast platforms. You can also listen to her podcast at searchthescriptures.org. We hope that you will join us next week Monday as we continue to Search the Scriptures.